Well, we are going to continue on with our with our um, preaching through the book of James, as we've been doing and visiting with us. I know we do have some visitors here with us today. Um, and so today we're going to move on to the next lesson that that James teaches us about how, this is basically the overview of the book, how Christians can live well during tough times. You know what? Sometimes our times get tough, right? And James is saying this, um, you can live well during tough times. And he specifically was dealing with people who were going through religious persecution, because um, that's what was happening to the Christians that were dispersed at that time. He's writing to the, he says, the 12 tribes that are dispersed. They're dispersed into places where they're not accepted. There were people, so they were religiously persecuted. They were economically persecuted. Um, and they were also politically, in a time of political turmoil um, in, that, in that part of the world. So James is writing to people who are in a mess. And they're living through really hard times. And, and some of you think this sometimes. You go, well, you know what? Um, God just doesn't understand. Yes, he does. He inspired people like James to write books about, hey, here's how you live in tough times. And so James, what he does in the books, he takes various topics and shows how we can have God's perspective on the topic, which we've learned the last couple of weeks is where wisdom comes from. We have God's wisdom about a situation. And with that wisdom, we can actually experience joy even in the midst of our difficulties, because we know the outcome. And we, can, we know the outcome, so we can know what's the outcome. That we can grow and we can mature in Jesus. Thank you. We can grow and mature in Jesus, and so we can become more like Jesus, more full of love, more full of grace, more full of kindness, and so we understand that the trials can actually bring something good, so we can walk in joy during that time. And that's what we're going to find again today, that James showing us God's perspective that's leading to blessing. So let's look at the next couple verses as we go through James and see what he has to say today. And today I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I know I usually always read out of my Bible and out of New American Standard, and we don't really make a big deal out of translations around here. But today I'm going to, in case you you follow along with me in that, and you're going, oh, it's a little bit different. The reason I'm using the New Living today is I really do think it just shows the flow better of thought, so that we can follow his train of thought um, through what he's saying in this topic today. So, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. James chapter 1, verse, starting verse 12, fire up your iPad or your phone here, or turn your Bible open. James chapter 1, starting in verse 12. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And we'll stop right there. That, that's a complete thought, a complete paragraph there. We'll stop there. Here's my question for you. Every one of these weeks we've been going through a particular topic. What topic do we find James covering here today? The idea of, of going through times of temptation. So he's dealing with the whole topic, the whole paragraph. Going through times of temptation. Now, I shouldn't even ask this question, but do any of you ever go through a time of temptation? Here's the real answer, even if you don't recognize it, only every day. Even if you don't know it, only every day. Um, 
there are some things that James wants us to see about temptation from God's perspective. That's what he's trying to show us. In this whole book, he's trying to say, here's how God looks at it. So if you can join with James and say, okay, I want to see it from God's way, it'll help you to live a, a well-lived life and a life of joy in the midst of whatever going on. So in this case, in the midst of temptation, you can be an overcomer, live a good life, and actually have joy in your life. So there's some things he wants us to understand about temptation from God's perspective for that to happen. And the first thing he wants us to understand is, is simply this, that temptation just is. He just makes it, a, makes it a fact. Everyone is tempted, and everyone, he said, when you go through times of temptation, that everyone goes through seasons of temptation, and everyone goes through seasons sometime in their life of great temptation. Um, James does not state it here, but it's part of the whole, the whole context we have to remember who James is. James is the brother of Jesus. And he surely knew that everybody, including Jesus, um, the Son of God, was tempted. I'm, you, we have to know that James knew about the time that Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. That wasn't the only time he tempted Jesus, but that's, that's recorded in Scripture that, that Satan even tempts Jesus in the wilderness trying to get him to follow his ways instead of God's ways. So he knows that if Jesus was tempted, then we are all targets of temptation. And I think this is really important to remember for two reasons. First reason I think it's important to remember is because it helps me to realize that since temptation is common to all people, then when I'm tempted, I just realize that I'm normal. That I'm just normal. Because a lot of times people conclude something different. When I just know that everybody's tempted, I understand what temptation is not. That temptation isn't the result of me doing something wrong. That, oh, I'm doing something wrong and therefore the enemy is tempting me. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. You're doing something right. And, or somehow people conclude this. They're tempted, so somehow God is dissatisfied with them. That temptation just is and always will be is the truth. But they think, because I'm tempted, God must be dissatisfied because somehow now Satan is coming after me. And maybe God's nowhere around. That's just not true. Temptation just is, and temptation always will be. Now, the way temptation comes into our lives will change over time. You know, and I can't speak for you, but I know for me, temptation has changed. It's more likely that when we're young, temptation comes through things like you know, sexual desire and, and human pleasure and, and those, you know, maybe I'm going to say more surface things. But when we get older, temptation still comes, but I think it comes more through things like pride, comes more through things like self-righteousness. I can do it on my own. We can sit kind of this way. I've lived this way for a long time. I've got it all figured out. I can do it on my own. And we're tempted to become self-righteous and think we have it all figured out. And really what we're saying is, I don't really need God anymore. But here's the reality. Temptation is always there. Temptation never gives up on us. Temptation is common to all people. So that's the first thing I think that, that James just wants us to know that it's assumed. It's always there. But there's a second reason I think it's important to remember that all people are targets of temptation. It's this. It's so that we are always constantly aware and on the alert. I have rules built into my life that I never break. And the rules are built, I have rules for how I meet with, will ever meet with a female. I have all kinds of rules. I have rules on how I handle money. Matter of fact, you can know this. I've never touched a dollar, seriously, a penny of money from this church. Never even touched it. Because I have rules built in. I have all these rules built into my life. I'll never be meet alone with a lady. 
I have all these different rules that I build into my life. Why? Because I understand something. The enemy is always trying to tempt me. Temptation just is, so I must always be on the alert. I must always be aware. So for me, I structure my life in such a way that just says, be alert all the time, instead of getting comfortable and, and, and being in a spot where now I'm an easy target for the enemy. And so I think one of the reasons James talks about temptation is he just wants us to be aware and alert that always there always is temptation here. See, we understand that Satan is the father of temptation, that he is incredibly subtle. He comes at us with temptation in subtle ways. That this is what he seeks to try to do. What he, you know, he's not going to come to you today and try to get you to rob a bank. He, you're not going to do it. He's not going to come to you today and tell you to kill somebody. His subtlety comes, and here's what he's trying to do. Just get you off course. One degree. Just get you off course from the way God wants you to live just, just a degree or two. He can just get you a little off course today and keep us off course. Eventually, we will be way off course and in deep trouble. And it usually happens without us hardly even knowing it. In my much younger days as a pastor, um, I, was, I don't think I was dealing with this text. I don't know how I was. But I wanted to, to make this point at church. And so I did something in a church that I found out later was illegal. I brought my bow and arrow and a target in. I set the bow and the arrow and the target up. And I shot an arrow into the target, and I did my best to hit the bullseye. And I came pretty close. And then I adjusted my aim just a little bit, and I'm hoping, I don't know what I miss. <laughs> you know, that's why it's illegal. <laughs> and, uh, and I shot, and I hit off to the side of the target, a ways, a ways off in the side. And... What I wanted to them to understand was that at the point of my bow, the moment I was off was a fraction of an inch. From hitting the target at, at, at 25 yards, for me to hit this bullseye or hit you know, a foot and a half to the side, was literally at the point of my bow, a fraction of an inch difference. But with time and distance, the gap got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Friends, that's how sin works. Satan subtly tries to tempt you to make decisions that get you just slightly off course. And in time, what happens, all of a sudden you wake up one day and you look and you're like, I'm off in the rough. I'm off somewhere I don't want to be. I was talking to a person about this recently. I wasn't talking about this text, but we were talking about the person's life and they started telling me their story and how they had been... At one time in their life, years earlier, 25 years earlier than the recent conversation, they had been, this person and their wife had been very involved in a church years earlier. I'm like super involved, like um, served all the time, gave all the time in high levels of leadership in the church, um, very involved. But then, um, it was actually said in a small group, something happened where some people did some things that were very improper. And he told what they were, they were totally improper. And they were very offended by that group and they, and they tried to address it and it wasn't handled well. And so they started backing away. And this is what he said to me. He said, I couldn't believe how quickly him and his wife began to change. He said they were offended, so they decided to not go to church one Sunday because they were mad. And when things didn't change, one Sunday in a little while became two Sundays and two Sundays became three Sundays, four Sundays and five Sundays. Before they knew it, they completely stopped going to church, which is one thing. 
They completely stopped associating with Christians, which is a very dangerous thing. And they, but here's the deal, he said, and we re-entered our lives of sin that God had set them free from before they came to know Jesus. And he said, and we even went into a life of sin to a greater extent than we ever had before we knew Jesus. And this is what he said that caught my attention. He said, I couldn't believe how quickly it happened and how easy it was. He said, I couldn't believe it. It just started today at one degree off course. But with time and distance, it goes quickly. Friends, that's the subtlety of Satan. If he can get us off track just a little bit and keep us off track, he knows that the results will be for us great trouble in time and distance. So if we know that temptation is always, it just is, and will always be present in our lives, so we keep alert to the fact that the enemy never sleeps, therefore what happens is we don't take the bait. We know better. Matter of fact, a lot of commentators in this verse, what they use as an illustration right here is fishing. They use the idea that the, the, the nuance of what they're talking about here is a fish taking bait. What I was actually going to do is show you a picture of the beautiful muskie I caught last week. But that would have just been bragging. But I caught a beautiful muskie last week. Um, and it's taking the bait. And a lot of them say that's the idea here. That we don't take the bait. And just get a bit off track today. And then be way off tomorrow. So the first thing Jabe wants us to understand is that temptation just is. And the second thing he wants us to know is that uh, in the text here, other than the fact that it just is, is that there is a great reward for overcoming temptation. And for some of us, it's going to flip your thinking a little bit. Some people think there's a great reward for giving in to temptation. It's just they'll say, that's meaning it's a lot of fun. But he's going to show us there's actually a great reward for overcoming temptation. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this. It says, Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God promises to those who love him. Afterward. After, what does he say? After one has patiently endured temptation, that's the context here, after one has patiently endured temptation, after you have said no to temptation, set up your life in a way so you don't get off course one degree, after you've said no to temptation, and chosen to walk in God's way by relying on his strength that is within you, he says, then there will be a great reward for you. And I really think James has a two-part reward in mind here. One that leads to the other. One that is present today and is wonderful. And one that is futuristic and complete. And James calls it the reward of the crown of life. Surely, when he's talking about this present reality, he's referring to the life of joy that he's been writing about in all the previous verses. He's writing about this life of joy that you can have even in the midst of hard times. How that even in trials, Christians can know real joy and that's, that's uniquely Christian. That that is real life. The type of life that is uniquely Christian. A life of joy that goes beyond happiness because we understand that happiness is contingent upon circumstances. That we can have a life of joy. A life of joy where Jesus is so real and so present that we live all of our lives in a reality of his fullness. Life where we know that that our foundation, 
that God loves us unconditionally and he's always out for our good. So everything, even difficulty in life, is viewed through that lens. Friends, that's where joy comes from. From the assurance that God loves you and he is for you and that he will bring good out of whatever you are going through. So the first part of this crown of life that is promised to those who overcome temptation is this life of joy that's here today, it's present, it's very real today, and it's offered to us every day while we walk this earth. But here's why I think it's a two-part idea. Because it doesn't stop there. There's also a futuristic aspect to this. That to those who choose to walk with Jesus and by His strength overcome the temptations of the world and live by God's ways. To those there is a promise of a great future. A day when Jesus will give you, he says, this crown of life. He'll present it to you. Eternal life in his presence, that's what it is, in his kingdom, without the baggage of sin and corruption that plagues all of us during this age. It's a restoration, friends, of the new heaven and the new earth where we can thrive. That's what he's talking about here. That's the crown of life. The Apostle Paul talked about the same thing in his, in his second letter to his friend Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this about this exact same idea. He said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, that's the temptation, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. You see, Paul and James look past this world where temptation just is, and where we need to be on our guard against it. And they look to a day when the followers of Jesus says will be rescued from every evil. The temptation won't be there anymore. And they will be safely, he says, in his heavenly kingdom. He says that the temptation, the difficulty, the, the problems will be gone. It will be safely in the kingdom of God. And we need to understand something, friends. That promise, that crown of life, that promise to be in the kingdom of God is not a promise to sit on a cloud in the sky and play a harp. We so misunderstand the promise of God. The church world has done such a poor job of communicating it over the years because they've missed it. It's a promise to live in the new earth, within the new heavens. It's a promise of the restoration of the Eden-like existence that God intended for humanity before humanity chose sin over God. It's a promise of life the way we were meant to experience it, that not one of us has ever experienced it yet. A life experienced without sin, in God's presence, in a world of beauty and abundance and wonder. The new heaven and the new earth. There's a wonderful book that's out recently by John Eldridge that deals with this topic. The book is called All Things New. If you don't have it, buy it. Matter of fact, buy it because I'm pretty sure the, the time leading up to Easter, as a church, we're going to read it. As a whole church, like we did a book last year. All Things New by John Eldridge. Listen to what John Eldridge says here about this idea about life in the kingdom then. It says, We haven't yet seen anyone in their true glory, including you. He says, Yes, Mozart did some, did start writing symphonies as a child, and Picasso could draw before he could talk. 
But most human beings are profoundly thwarted in their callings here because of woundings, assault, envy, and circumstances that would never let them fly. For most human beings on this planet, work ranges from disappointing to oppressive. What does the kingdom offer those men who are working in Indonesian sulfur mines or the tens of millions of modern slaves upon the earth? This is not what God intended. How many Mozarts are there right now hidden in slums and huts across the globe? All your creativity and gifting will be restored, and then some, when you are restored. All of that latent potency inside of you, so damaged here, marred, frustrated, never given the opportunity to grow and develop and express itself, all of it completely restored, including your personality. From there, you are able to act in the new world in ways far greater than Adam and Eve were able to with be fruitful and rule in a broken world. You will have absolute intimacy with Jesus Christ and his life will flow through your gifts unhindered. Imagine what we will be capable of. How vast our powers in the new earth. We know we shall walk on water. For Peter on this earth at Jesus' bidding did that. How far do our creative and artistic capacities reach? What will you do in the life to come? Everything you were born to do. Everything you've always wanted to do. Everything the kingdom needs you to do. Friends, that's the promise. That's the promise that awaits those who walk with Jesus and choose to follow him over following temptation to sin. It's making the choice that Adam never made and saying, no, I choose God over temptation. James here understands the big picture. He sees life from God's perspective. And he says you will be blessed when you choose God over sin. Blessed today with joy even in the midst of difficulty and blessed by a future deep in God's kingdom, which is the crown of life. What an amazing reason to choose to not give in to temptation. You see, since with temptation, Satan makes big promises and delivers only problems and pain. And we all know that's true. Choose this sin and it will make you feel good. It will make you happy. If you do that, it will turn out well. And we know this from life. No, it doesn't. You and I know that sin leads to pain and to problems in our life and the people associated with us. And we all have a thousand horror stories to tell that it's true. But God promises life. A great life now and a greater life in eternity. That's what James is talking about here. The crown of life for those who say no to temptation. That's the kind of life I want for me and that's the kind of life I want for you. Isn't that what you want? Amen? Amen. Now we could just stop here and say, Amen, let's go home. But James doesn't in the paragraph. James doesn't stop here. He goes on in the next few verses to reinforce to us, and it's all tied to the same thing, the source of temptation, where it comes from. So we'll be certain to never fall for its lies. He says, you know, I'm telling you this, it's really good, but I want to tell you, temptation comes from a certain place. And you need to be aware of it. 
so you don't so you get the good life, you don't fall for the bad life. Look at verses thirteen and through fifteen. And he says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. I can't tell you how many times people have said something similar to that to me. He says, God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Look what James says here. His first comment. Temptation never comes from God. Do me a favor, say the word never today. Never. Temptation, sometimes? No. Temptation never comes from God. The temptation to sin, to choose to think or act in a way that is contrary to God's way, is never from God. That should make life so easy. Because people struggle all the time saying, you know what, um, I know this is right, but it just feels right to do this. Or It seems like this opportunity has risen in my life, which should make life so much easier. And, and just maybe that's from God. If it does not line up with God's ways, it's never from God. God will never put things in your path to tempt you to sin. To somehow, and he'll never set a trap for you somehow to see if you'll pass or fail. He never does. But I hear it all the time. People say things like, well, pastor, the reason I did it, the reason I, I took that thing that didn't belong to me is because I was in a desperate need. And I, I really, Pastor, I was in a bad spot and it wasn't going to work. I had no answers. And there it was right in front of me. The provision from God. It just happened to belong to somebody else. And I go, uh, that's called stealing. That's not from God. Or the one that I hear, I have heard many, many, many times. The person has Christ in their life and someone else comes along. And that person is going to lead them in the wrong direction. That person, everything about them is wrong, but it just feels so right. And they go, oh, but pastor, you don't get God put that person in my life. Wrong. No. Capital N, capital O, exclamation point, exclamation point. God did not do it. James tries to be really clear here. God will never tempt you to sin. Only Satan will do that. You must remember the source of all temptation so that you will avoid all temptation. We have this idea like the little white lie. There's no little white sin. It leads to temptation. It leads to destruction. Eventually, you're off one degree today. James goes on to explain that the entry point that Satan uses to bring temptation is not something outside of us. It's inside of us. It's our own desires. And I think he's primarily dealing with here the desires that arise from our unsanctified self. Let me explain what I mean. When you came to Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, when you came to Jesus, we are entirely saved and entirely forgiven. We become the righteousness of Christ. We are saints of God. The scriptures say, the Bible says we become the children of God. That's all true, right? But there's a however. However, there's a lot of transformation that still needs to take place in us, in every one of us. The day you come to Christ, you've not arrived yet. And if you've walked with Jesus for 30 years, you've not arrived yet. I've not arrived yet. We are saved and we're living in the kingdom, but aspects of our old sin nature still need to be crucified. We still have unholy desires that need to be identified and sanctified, which becomes, means becoming more like Jesus. It's in those places 
our own unsanctified desires where temptation attacks. It starts within us. It's not from outside. It's not. It, it's from inside. And the reason it's so important is what you can't say. The devil made me do it. He says, no, it arises from inside of you. The devil uses those entry points, but he says it comes from within you. So you can't blame anybody else. You can't blame the devil. You can't blame your brother. You can't blame your parents. He says it rises from within, inside of us. It's from inside, not out. It starts with desire, he says. Then it's desire. If, if desire is met in inappropriate ways, it leads to sin. And he says that sin leads to death. And friends, that's exactly what God said would happen to humankind when he talked to Adam and Eve. And it's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve when they chose sin over God. And it's exactly what still can happen to each of us if we choose sin over God. Death to the good life that God makes available to us in Christ and eventually eternal death because man chose to reject God and live their own way and will live without Him, without His grace. Church, God has something so much better for us. Life. A crown of life to those who walk with Jesus. Those who, who like Jesus, we see in His life, resist temptation, resist sin, and instead choose real life to live God's way during their days on this earth. And I want to end today by reading what the Apostle Paul has to say about this in the book of Romans. Listen closely. What he says in Romans chapter 6, verses 20 to 23. Listen, it says, When you were slaves to sin, talk about your life before Jesus. When you were, and he says, This is what you were, you were slaves to sin. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. You get that? That you were free before Jesus. You were slaves to sin and you were free from the obligation to do right. He says, and what was the result for all the lies that Satan says that, oh, do this and it'll make your life better? James, uh, uh, Paul says this in Romans, and what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now, in Christ, you are free from the power of sin. And have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness. That's today. And result in eternal life. That's out there. Starting today. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, free in Christ. You're free from the power of sin. You know what another way of saying is? You have the ability to say no to sin. Before Jesus says you weren't, you were a slave to it. Now you're not a slave anymore. So you can't say this. I can't, I can't stop. Baloney. He says you can. You are free now to say no. Free from the power of sin. He says you're free to do those things that lead to holiness and eternal life. Those are the things you get to choose to do. The things that lead to holiness and eternal life, which he says is a free gift of God, is eternal life. The crown of life. Friends, that's a life worth living. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for 
the wisdom that you are sharing with us through the book of James. Lord, we want to thank you that that you're helping us see life from your perspective. And Lord, a lot of times we're seeing that perspective is a bit different than we've been led to believe. And Lord, there's some belief inside of us that comes from a culture around us that just says, you know what, Christianity is restrictive, that, it, that it's no fun. And James is turning that upside down and saying, it's the most freeing life imaginable. Life in Jesus. Free of the obligation to sin. Free to live in righteousness, which leads to the crown of life. A life of joy today. And a life deep in the kingdom, experiencing life as it's meant to be. The kind of life that humankind has never lived in the new heaven and the new earth. Without um, the, the effect of sin. God, I pray this. Your word says... In Ecclesiastes, that you will put eternity in the heart of man. I pray, Lord, for this church family today. That you would literally burn eternity into our hearts. That we would be so keenly aware of the fact that, that, that what you promised for us is so amazing. That, God, we would live with our eyes turned upwards. And want to live that kind of life where, where we're saying that it's worth, it's worth living for Jesus because it's the best life now, but think of what it offers in the future. Thank you for that, God. As we're here today, just in this moment of prayer, a couple of things come to my mind. The first thing is maybe this. Maybe as you're sitting here and we're just talking about what James is writing and the Spirit of the Lord is very present and you're becoming aware of the fact that you are a little couple degrees off course. There's some adjustments. Maybe it's the way you've always lived. But as you're growing in Jesus, the Lord is trying to bring wholeness to your life and greater freedom to your life. And He's trying to get you to, to come back toward the plan He has for you. This life of, of real life, of, of holiness and wholeness. And there's some things that, that, that maybe the Lord never dealt with you on before, but now He is, and, and He's just trying to say in love, it's time to deal with some of those things and to bring them in line with Him. Maybe He's dealt with you for a long time and you didn't realize you could say no before. The devil's been lying to you and saying you can't. But there's some things in your life that you want to be rid of and you want to walk in lockstep with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's you today, I make you this promise. Say yes to Jesus right now. Just in the quietness of your heart. Say, Jesus, I want to be all in with you. Not halfway. All in. And Jesus, help us. Strengthen us. Empower us. To, give, to, to turn away from some of those things. Some of these things, Lord, are areas that we just need to make some sensible decisions in our life. That we won't go down certain paths, not even a little ways. We won't open doors to certain things in our lives. Show us what those are today. And in the reality of your presence, we now offer those things to you. 
We say, God, now from this day on, I want to walk in lockstep with you. There's another thing as we're in prayer this morning that's just coming to my heart. It's this, maybe you're here today and you've never taken that first step to begin a relationship with Jesus. You've never said yes to Jesus. This, this description of the Apostle Paul writes about that at one time a person's a slave to sin and they're, they're obligated to that, but, then, but now there's this new life of freedom from sin to become a, a child of God. And something inside of you is saying that today this is for you and, and you recognize that you want to turn away from that old life and you want to, you want to receive new life in Jesus. If that's you today, for us in this moment, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to ask you to do something really bold because I'm the only one looking around. If you say, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus today, from this day forward, I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm not even sure what that all means, but I know today I need to start. If that's you, I want you to raise up your hand. When I see your hand, I'm going to tell you to put it down. I just want to see who to pray with today. I'm not going to call you out, I promise you, or embarrass you. You just say, today. All right. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Yeah, I promise you. This is just, I, I just have you do this as a way for you to make a, 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 an action, a motion that says, yes, I'm serious right now. Just one more minute. Anybody else? I'm going to ask our whole church then. We're just going to pray together. And I want to say this, that maybe if, if, if some of you have done that, maybe I want you to know this today. That if you're saying yes to Jesus today, it's a done deal. If your heart's sincere and you're turning to Jesus, His arms are wide open to receive you. And today He's going to receive you. And it's, and it's going to be a, a done deal. You don't have to wonder. If you walk with Him, He'll never turn away from you. So I invite our whole church family just to pray with me this morning. Join in prayer if you're saying today yes to Jesus. Dear Jesus, I need you. I want to live a life of overcoming. I don't want to be held back by sin. And so today, I look to you and I ask you, come into my life. Make me brand new. Fill me with your presence. Wipe away all the garbage of my past and help me to live a brand new life in you. So on this day, I turn my life over to you. On this day, I promise that I will walk with you all the days of my life. And I ask you now, God, help me. Heal me. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name.